Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for the gift of Your Word, especially on this occasion when we can think of it as a word of encouragement during times of trial. And so now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Today, well, we are continuing a series called Messages of Joy based on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And today I'm reading to you from Philippians um, chapter 1, verses 12 through 19. Listen to the word of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As Paul is composing this letter... We need to remember where he was. He was actually imprisoned. Now, he was not in a dungeon, the sort of place that he would be eventually, but he was under a kind of house arrest. He was under constant guard, and even though a house arrest is better than being in a dungeon, he was very much a prisoner. He had just about no freedom. He couldn't go about and preach the gospel to as many people as he possibly could. Now, Paul did did not ignore this fact. He didn't pretend that he was in a better place than he was, but he also did not use it to encourage sympathy for himself. He never wanted people to feel sorry for him. What did he do? He did the opposite, in fact. He did not want any sympathy because of his confinement and the consequent limitation of his physical activity. This letter, or this section in this letter, deals with the fact that even in the midst of burden and disappointment, definite advantages had come to him. It's true that many people, I think, miss out on great blessings because they do not understand an event and make no effort to explore the events surrounding it. 
Now suppose, for example, that Moses, who had his own concerns, his own burdens, his own worries, imagine that those things, those things in his life, had caused him to turn away from the burning bush. Perhaps he simply would not have understood what the burning bush meant. Perhaps he was too preoccupied. Whatever the reason, he might have turned away and think of what would have happened then. He would have missed the greatest blessing and opportunity of his life. Now, this blessing and opportunity was not an easy one. We know that Moses went through a lot of struggle, a lot of turmoil, a lot of heartache trying to lead the people of God out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. And yet, that was the greatest blessing and opportunity for his life. Now, Paul was in prison, and he could no longer freely move around and preach freely. And think of what a restriction that was to not be able to freely preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to whoever he could reach. Well, suppose he had become bitter or deeply discouraged and depressed, and maybe he even might have blamed God for what had happened. After all, he had been working so hard in the fields of the Lord, bringing people to his son, Jesus Christ. And what happens to him? What kind of reward does he get? He ends up in prison. And that might have made him cease to make any effort to spread the gospel. How many people have gotten discouraged or depressed or bitter How many people have blamed God because of some bad circumstance in their life and that has caused them to shrink back from sharing the gospel? I think it's something that is a constant temptation for so many people. You know, if Paul had fallen into that, he might have decided that his ministry was effectively over and he would have become cynical and let that take over his life. But we see, and this should be an encouragement, that Paul did not allow this to happen. He did not adopt the position of defeat or cynicism. If God had placed him in jail, or at least if God had allowed him to be jailed, There was a divine purpose for it, and it just remained to be discovered. And he shared the viewpoint, I think, of one who wrote much later, The world will never adjust itself to suit your whims to the letter. Some things will go wrong your whole life long, and the sooner you know it, the better. It's folly to fight with the infinite, and go down at last in the wrestle. The wiser man shapes into God's plan like water shapes into the vessel. And so that's what Paul would do. Now again, it's not that he saw things through rose-colored glasses or painted a pretty picture of what he was going through. No, he frankly stated his feelings about the disasters that had come to him. And yet he refused to be a defeated man at the end of his long career. He would not accept the fact that he had been confined to prison merely to await possible execution, 
or lifelong confinement, whatever penalty might have been coming. He refused to accept that his actions would be constrained by having only a faint hope for release. He began to tell people near him about his personal experience with Jesus on the Damascus Road, and he told them about his newfound faith. Now, the era in which Paul lived, and in some ways I guess it's similar to our own era, was a time in which people were searching for meaning. The old answers were no longer satisfying them. People were recognizing there was an emptiness in their hearts and that their lives lacked ultimate meaning. And so they longed for something that would give them confidence that their lives had meaning and purpose and that there was a better future awaiting them, especially a better future beyond the grave. And so this new movement that would eventually be called Christianity provided the only answer. And Paul delivered that message with a certainty that made the people realize their craving for inner peace would be met only through Jesus Christ. And the force of Paul's argument The force of his testimony did not depend on his theological knowledge. He had theological knowledge. He used it. But it depended on his personal testimony, his personal understanding that he had passed from death to life and had found the ultimate purpose of his life in Jesus Christ. Indeed, Paul believed that there was really only one issue in this life, one defining issue. In the world of uncertainty, only Christ can bring that which will give something to die by and live for. And certainly, we know that this life is uncertain. We really are not guaranteed anything when you think about it. I mean, we can certainly hope for things and trust in things, but we're not guaranteed a meaningful career. We're not guaranteed a good marriage or family life. We're not even guaranteed to live one more day. Everything is uncertain in this life except for the promise that Jesus Christ offers to those who have faith in him. Now, as Paul delivered his message to those that he could reach, a marvelous thing happened. The soldiers who were impressed by Paul's strength of character, he always had that, they wanted to know more about his Savior and Lord. And the guards, many of them, came to accept Jesus Christ. And the word spread. And Paul became an object of interest. Through those people whom Paul contacted, the gospel was spread even further. And the word Paul used for furtherance describes actually the progress of an army. Now in other places this term means cutting away the trees and undergrowth and removing the barriers that would ordinarily hinder an army's progress. 
And in Paul's case, this is very significant. If he had tried to break in to the emperor's inner circle, he would never have succeeded. Because simply there were too many obstacles that blocked the way. There was no way that he could get from point A to point B if he tried to do it directly. But since he was a prisoner, he could see these people face to face and witness to them. And surely his decision while he was imprisoned in Caesarea to appeal to Rome was God's will at work in his life, although he may not have realized it at the time. And the trip to Rome that he would soon undertake gave him an even greater field of service for his Lord. Now Paul encouraged his readers by saying in verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, people have a lot of influence on other people more than they often realize. And Paul was a prisoner, but his strong faith encouraged believers who may have been weaker in their faith. And other Christians who came in contact with Paul may have been hesitant to stand firm for their faith, but Paul, by his boldness, gave them renewed strength. There's one Christian, an outstanding Christian, who tells a story that as a young man, he was at a social event, a dinner party, where alcohol was being served. And he did not want to drink alcohol. He thought it was you know, dangerous, perhaps for himself, or it just wasn't something that he felt that he should do. His conscience argued against it. He had an understanding that he shouldn't do that. But everybody around him was accepting an alcoholic beverage. You know, a waiter would come along and pour pour a glass of wine for everybody. Well, then he noticed that one of the people near him, a young woman, just very calmly and sweetly turned her glass upside down when the waiter approached and just passed on the wine. And it was that action that gave this uncertain young man the ability, the courage, to simply withstand peer pressure and not take a glass of wine. It may seem like a little thing, but it turned into a very big thing. This young man and this young woman eventually married and had a wonderful family and ministry together because of that one act, that one act of encouragement. And Paul, with the way he acted while in jail, offered that to so very many people. What a great testimony. Now another thing that Paul brings up that seems very counterintuitive, even bizarre, is in verse 15 where he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Now, how could anybody preach Christ from envy and rivalry? Now, Paul could have been more disturbed than he allowed himself to be 
by the people who were seeking to discredit him personally. And again, it seems extraordinary, incredible, that there should have been envy and strife among the Christians when they were all facing such difficulty. Now, it's a little hard to know the context because Paul does not really expand on these words or give us details, but he simply mentions that people seem to be adding to his bonds by the manner in which they delivered the message of Christ. Who could they have been? Maybe they were the legalists among the Christians. You recall when I preached through Galatians, that was a huge concern of Paul's. Could have been anybody. Could have been Christians who were divided against one another, who were seeking their own position and betterment. Such things do happen. and We think of the church in Corinth in that regard. And we know what happens today, sadly. Even now, in the church, envy and strife enter in. These are human emotions. But Paul's philosophy is excellent for us to know today. It says, basically, do not fight your opposition, especially if you are in the Lord's work. People do not come to Christ because of your arguments or cleverness or knowledge but because of a personal experience that you can authentically share. A personal experience of coming to Jesus Christ. A personal experience of walking with the Lord, of feeling the Holy Spirit fill you with his purpose. Jesus, you see, can meet the needs of humanity and can transform one's life even though the messenger may be confused about some things about the details of how Jesus did it and does it. That's why we have theological disagreements, after all. We don't always know the clear answer, and so we try to understand, and we end up going somewhat in different directions when it comes to theology and biblical interpretation. Very simply, the message from Paul is, let Christ be received, and his transforming power will transform hearts. Now, Paul knew that if he kept his spirit in tune with the Lord, he would be vindicated. He wrote in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, some scholars believe that the term, my deliverance, refers to his pers- Paul's personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, others may feel that he was speaking of his deliverance from prison. In a sense, both could be true. But Paul was probably indicating that if the Philippians continued to pray for him, and he continued to manifest a sweet Christian spirit, he would be victorious in his forthcoming trial before the Roman court. And this is always the best way to meet opposition with a firm conviction, but also with a sweet spirit. We should never compromise our basic beliefs, but we should also not become so militant that we discount the Christian message 
through an obstinate and unpleasant attitude. Adversity, as so many of us know, can strengthen us. We can turn our burdens into bridges. You know, a biologist once watched an ant carrying a piece of straw, and the ant came to a crack in the ground. The ant put the straw across the crack and watched, walked over on the straw. Now, that straw was a burden, and yet the ant was able to use the straw as a bridge. And wise people let their burdens bear them up instead of weigh them down. The ancient poet Horace said, Adversity has the effect of eliciting talents which in prosperous circumstances would have lain dormant. Brothers and sisters, many people have won victories over circumstances and have made contributions to the world that have blessed the lives of millions. Milton, the great poet, John Milton, was blind. The great composer Beethoven became deaf. David Livingston's fever-stricken body could have hobbled him, and yet all these circumstances were conquered and molded into personal victories as they found and did God's will. Faith is ultimately not the ability to explain everything, but it is a spirit that dares to venture even when it does not have the key to the puzzle or all the answers. And so whatever the sorrow or time of crisis, it is possible that we can profit from it. God's will is perceived more clearly during the dark night of discouragement than in the noontime of prosperity. And so for whoever among you, whoever among us is going through a trying time, may those words encourage you. And may you realize that the will of God and the love of God are with you, not just including, but perhaps especially in the dark times. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.